Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. I think most of us would agree that we are living in times of crisis. COVID, crisis within itself, has brought about an economic crisis with high unemployment, a coin shortage, and fears for our financial future as individuals, as a country, and throughout the world. Racial tension is high, and the suicide rates are climbing. Families and friendships are fracturing, helped by an upcoming divisive election and an unwillingness to listen to each other and extend grace. And to top it off, we are warned about an asteroid headed our way, which fortunately, from what I have read, is about the size of a refrigerator and will probably burn up when it hits the Earth's atmosphere. I think it's important that during a crisis, people see the need for leadership. Not only economic and political leadership, but also spiritual leadership. What is spiritual leadership? What is leadership alone by itself? There are a lot of definitions for leadership, but for me, the one that fits all of us the idea behind this message, is that leadership at its minimum is influence. I believe everyone can exert influence. Let me give you a few examples. Do you take the train to work? Where you sit is influenced by other people. Just as where you are seated influences other people. Now, I don't know if this is a true story, But someone once told me that while they were on the metro heading into the city while they were commuting, there was a person cutting their toenails while they were riding the train. I have to believe that person exerted influence in the sense of how people sat around them or did it. Personally, no one did, and I wouldn't either. Are you going shopping at Target? Are you having a hard time trying to find what you're looking for? Someone, perhaps in a red shirt or beige pants, can lead you to that place where that product has been hiding. Have you been watching a good TV show or reading a good book? We can be people of influence by sharing what we have experienced, by telling them whether it's good and and why it's good, and ultimately influencing them to watch the same show or read the same book. I have found I'm influenced by the Amazon reviews. They have saved me a lot of grief and have given me time to do research that I don't really want to do on my own because I don't have time to get a lot of things done. Now, we can look at these fluff stories and see that we can be people of influence. But I think it's more important for us to recognize, even beyond these stories, we can be people of spiritual influence. If we simply share our story how Jesus has touched our lives, how Jesus has changed our lives, we can spiritually influence someone else to experience Jesus as well. You can, no matter who you are, whether you're in seventh grade, high school, college, core, or an aging adult like Elder Chris, you can be a spiritual leader. Now, with this idea of leadership in general, and specifically towards spiritual leadership, I just want to take a moment and I want you to write down the name of someone 
who has spiritually influenced you. Now let's look at Nehemiah again. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Today I just want to look at two things about Nehemiah's spiritual leadership. The first one is this. A spiritual leader answers the call of God. Now let me explain the context of what's happening here in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, we learn here that he is in Susa, the citadel. Basically, he's still in Babylon. And as he's in Babylon, he has a meeting with his brother who has just arrived from his journey from Jerusalem. And he asks his brother, he says, yo, bro, what's happening? What's happening in Jerusalem? Tell me what's going on. What's the news? What's happening? And in all of this, his brother tells him some really bad news. He says, bro, the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. And the gates have been burned down with fire. And the people, they're in serious distress. There's a lot of trouble. There's anxiety. There's stress. They're in a very bad place, quite simply. And so what we see from Nehemiah is this reaction of utter despair, where he actually gets to a place where he is weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. See, as a spiritual leader... He turns his concern into compassion, a compassion that leads him ultimately to action because he's answering the call of God. God is going to place a call on Nehemiah's life for Nehemiah to actually go to Jerusalem. It's not going to happen in a day, and then actually as you read on, it will happen over a period of four months before Nehemiah actually approaches the king and asks for permission to go back to Jerusalem, but only after God has clarified his call for action. Now, how does he answer this call? He answers the call, first of all, by running to God with his grief. And he enters into a time of seeking God in prayer and fasting. Because again, the situation is bad. The wall is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. Think of it this way. Imagine living in a home where the walls of your house were broken down and the door was burned with fire. People would have 24-7 access to you. They would be able to do whatever they want. If you went to the store, took the family on vacation, you could come back, and the only thing left standing are the walls and the doors, and they're not even standing because they're broken down. And so that's kind of the situation that Jerusalem is in. And in grief, Nehemiah, as a spiritual leader, turns to God, seeking him, in prayer and fasting. Why does Nehemiah do that? Well, you could easily answer, it's probably because Nehemiah is a spiritual leader. But I think there's something else that's going on. I think Nehemiah realizes that this is not only a problem, and not only does he want to do something about it, 
but he doesn't know how he's going to be able to help. He has two, at least two major barriers that are preventing him from going back to Jerusalem and helping out. The first one is distance. Susa is about 800 miles away from Jerusalem. It's like traveling from Chicago to Dallas. Dallas is about 800 miles. I think the Internet's at 803 or 804. I don't remember clearly. Now, when we think of that, we think, oh, trip to Dallas, what's the big deal? Hop on a plane, a little under two hours, from Chicago to Dallas, boom, you're there. Or, hey, you know what, let's drive. Let's drive there. It takes about 11 hours if you're driving about 75 miles an hour and you take a potty break. For us, it seems like nothing. But for Nehemiah, it's everything. It's probably, or at least, a two-month journey at 20 miles a day to get from Susa to Jerusalem. That's a huge barrier. It's a very large barrier. One of the shows that I'm watching is called Mars. Uh, on this TV show, uh, what they're talking about is this long journey of three years of going from Earth to Mars and coming back. And what they're showing us is the commitment that is needed by each astronaut as they put behind the past and look towards the future. It's a long journey. This is a long journey for Nehemiah. So it's a huge barrier for him to get over. But a second thing I think we need to get and understand, and this is described later on in verse 11, is that Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. He's a layperson. He's a government official. He is not somebody who is in the ministry full time. And his job is an important job. As a cupbearer to the king, he is the one who drinks the wine and tastes the food before the king gets to actually experience it. In other words, the king really has to trust him, really has to trust him with his life. The king's life is in Nehemiah's hands. And so he's a trusted advisor. It's not a kind of job where you could say, oh, great king Artaxerxes, I just, you know, I'm a little tired. I need to take a trip to Jerusalem. And so I'm giving you my two-week notice, and I'm out of here. Were he to do that, he's actually putting his life in the king's hands. Because the king might very well desire and say, you know what, if you want to retire, I'll help you retire, but for good. So there's these two major barriers that Nehemiah is facing. The barrier of distance and the barrier of his job. Because his job is like a dress shirt job. It's not a casual Friday type of job. It's something that's very serious and very important to him and is a barrier that may very well prevent him from actually doing something that he wants to do in getting back to Jerusalem. Now, what I want us to do before I move on is to take a moment and write down a reason or two as to why you think God would not call you to spiritual leadership. Now let's look at Nehemiah again. One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there is in the province, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The second thing that I want us to see from Nehemiah today 
is that a spiritual leader feels the compassion of God. Now, look at Nehemiah's reaction. Once he hears the news, he sits down and he weeps and mourns for days. It's not a simple, sort of easy crying, like where you have crocodile tears or where you're just having the tears come down. But it's, it's a weeping. It's, it's a sobbing. It's almost like a blubbering that he's doing. And he's mourning because he's grieved when he hears about what's happening in Jerusalem. And he's so grieved that he enters into a period of fasting and prayer. Now, we can't see it here, but if I understand what the commentaries are saying, when it says that he continued in fasting and praying before the God of heaven, it was not a one-day affair. It wasn't a one-week affair. But if I understand the context of Nehemiah 1 and Nehemiah chapter 2, for four months, Nehemiah, in grief, turns to God in prayer and fasting over that four-month period of time. He begins to feel the compassion of God. He's experiencing the heart of God. And he's, and he's doing this because in prayer and fasting, God is actually touching his heart as well. Now, what is compassion? When I think of compassion, not only do I think of Nehemiah, but I also think of Jesus. If you can remember the story in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus healed the leper, it says that Jesus had compassion on the leper, and he reached out and he touched him, and he was healed. Now, that compassion has a dual meaning. The first meaning is that, in a sense, when Jesus reached out and touched the leper with compassion, he was angry. He wasn't angry at the leper, but he was angry at the leprosy. His anger was there because he realized that this leprosy is not as it should be. This is not the way life was intended. It's not what God wanted. The reason Jesus came was to not only reconcile us to the Father, but to reconcile all of creation. And so Jesus was angry at the leprosy. He was angry at the fall and the sin which had led to marring the beauty of God's creation. But there's a second part of compassion, and that's also he was sorrowful. He was sad. He was empathetic. In other words, he felt what this leper felt. He felt the isolation. He felt the desolation, the sadness, the grief, the loss. And so Jesus had compassion, not only because he was angry at the leprosy, but because he loved the leper and wanted him to experience full life. That's why he was healed. And it's a very similar compassion that Nehemiah has. Because when Nehemiah is here and he hears that the people are in trouble, it reflects on God. If God said that he was going to take care of his people, and if God said he was going to protect them, but we look at Jerusalem, the wall is broken down, the, gate is burnt, the gates are burned with fire, then there's something not happening. Now, there's a story behind that. And you can see that as you read the rest of the knot of Nehemiah. It's that the people have actually sinned. But God is raising up a spiritual leader in Nehemiah. And here's kind of the crazy thing if you think about it. Remember, Nehemiah is a government official. He's not a religious leader. He's not a part of the clergy. But if you went to Nehemiah chapter 3, you would see that there's clergy already in Jerusalem. There is a high priest. And there are other priests who are worshiping and serving God there who are in Jerusalem. And yet God goes 800 miles away 
to pour out his heart onto Nehemiah, who would have God's heart, who would have compassion, who would act, who would actually do something. You see, I could be wrong, but I don't want us to think that this is a gray area. Real compassion causes us to do something. It causes us to act. A few weeks ago, my daughter's uh, dog had to be put down. It was very sick, had some stomach issues, and was down to like five pounds. It was, it was a dog that was basically skin and bones. And my daughter, Janet, the youngest, really loves my daughter's dog, Boo. And so we had to sit down with her and tell her, you know, kind of like that conversation, tell her that, you know, Boo is really sick, and uh, Christina has to put Boo down to sleep. And so Janet just started bawling. And uh, then she gave this memorial speech that, that, like, amazed me because I didn't realize that she would think of so many things. And the, and the one thing that, that caught me, and there were many of them, but one major thing was she, she looked at us and said, I'm so sad because I wanted Boo to be an older brother to the little sister slash little girl dog that we're getting this week. And she really was brokenhearted not only for Boo, because he wouldn't be the big brother, but also for this dog we don't even own yet. And that helps me to see that compassion, that compassion that she had, was a compassion that led her to act. It influenced people. My wife was bawling. Janet was bawling. My eyes suddenly got all itchy because of the allergies that I have and all that crazy stuff. That compassion that she had drove her to say something profound, deep, and caring. You see, God is reaching out to Nehemiah because compassion causes us to act. And the man that God wanted was 800 miles away. He was a government official, not a religious leader, but he could still perform spiritual leadership. Ultimately, Nehemiah would come to Jerusalem and he would be a spiritual leader. Not only would they rebuild the wall, not only would they replace the gates, but he would also leave the community, lead the community spiritually. Nehemiah was a spiritual leader. Now, here's what I want us to do. At this moment, I want us to take some time and write down your level of compassion for the burden that God has placed on your heart. By the end of the story, Nehemiah will influence the people in the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the gates and the wall of the city. But he will also be used by God to rebuild their relationship with God. He will answer God's call. And he will do it because he felt God's compassion. Now to me, this is a great story. But stories like this can and should still be written today. You may feel a little inadequate. How is someone like me going to influence other people spiritually. You might say something like, I'm a high school student. How do high school students influence anyone spiritually? This summer, one of the good things that we did at Youth Group was we had a Big Brother, Big Sister program. And several high school students took the time out of their week to connect with our new 7th grade students and to just influence them influence them emotionally, socially, and spiritually. So even someone in high school can be a spiritual leader. You might be a parent who's feeling like, you know what, I keep failing as a parent. How am I going to be 
a spiritual influence to my children. To sit down, I would encourage you to sit down with them, spend time with them, pray for them, think about them as you go through the day, pray through them. There's a lot of ways in which we can influence people spiritually if we simply take the time. You might think, you know what, I am so old, who really wants to listen to me? One of the struggles that I have these days being youth pastor of our church is that sometimes I sit there and think, you know, at 56 years of age, as much as I relate my high school experience to the high school experience that our current youth group students are going through, and even though I may have those strong memories, sometimes what happened 40 years ago or so is not the same thing that's happening today. It's a different world. But even then, there still can be spiritual influence that can change a student's life forever when they find Jesus. So you don't have to be clergy. You don't have to be an elder, a pastor, a deacon, a small group leader, a ministry leader, or whatever it is. All that you need to do is to listen to what God is calling you to do and have his heart of compassion and then do it. Every one of us, I believe, is really called by God to be a spiritual leader, to be a spiritual influence in the world in which he has us. But now you might be sitting there, okay, great. So I'm supposed to do that. But how do I really do it? So let me give you a few ideas, a few things that I've been doing since COVID has started and something that we ramped up during the summer. Does everyone remember when COVID started and people were driving around, dropping off little gift packages and food packages at other people's houses? I hope you've had that experience. If you haven't, please call me. I'd be more than happy to go around and drop something off at your house and just say hi. When the COVID thing started and our college students came back from school, uh, I drove around to half the college students. Miss Yoon-sung drove around to the other half of college students. And we just dropped off a Starbucks gift card and a cupcake. I think it was from Molly's. I don't even remember. And um, that just simple gesture of saying I'm here can have spiritual influence. Because in the midst of finals, in the midst of all the upheaval, someone comes alongside of them, helps them out with some food, and prays for them. Spiritual influence. Another thing that I've actually been doing this year, and I don't have my phone with me, it's around here somewhere, but I actually learned that my iPhone is a phone. Isn't that crazy? I've actually been calling people, not just texting people, but calling people and having conversations with them. I've probably made more phone calls in the last six months than I have had in years previous. I know that sounds crazy, but I've gotten so used to texting. But if you want to spiritually influence someone, just give them a call. Ask a simple question or two simple questions. How are you doing and how can I pray for you? And after you ask that question, how can I pray for you? Pray for them right then and there. That's spiritual leadership. That's spiritual influence. That's spiritual ministry. And that's something that all of us can do. I've been texting people like crazy, as well as calling, spending time on FaceTime, uh, doing Zoom, Zoom Bible studies, Zoom meetings, Zoom discipleship, Zoom counseling. You name it, I've been Zooming everywhere, except on the softball field because I can't run very fast. But we can use all of this technology to actually be with people. I found this summer that I could attend four separate meetings within four-hour period without traveling anywhere. In my kitchen, I could sit down and I had a small group Bible study 
with the eighth grade boys. Then it was prayer meeting. Then it was a small group meeting with the Northbrook men. And then after that was a Bible study with our greenhouse students without leaving my kitchen. And so each and every one of us can use all of this technology that we have in our lives and we can be a spiritual influence. We can be a spiritual leader if we will simply answer the call of God. What is God asking you to do? How is he asking you to act? And then not just to do it just for the sake of doing it, but as you enter in to a time of seeking God, hopefully through prayer and fasting, hopefully with a heavy, burdened, broken heart, because your compassion is growing for what God wants you to do, to just then simply be with people, listen to them, encourage them, just like we just heard from Pastor Dave over a four-week period of how to encourage people. Encourage them, pray for them, love on them, be with them. And after that moment in time, you can always follow up. I know it sounds like a pretty simple message. There's a lot here that's going on in Nehemiah chapter 1. But Nehemiah is showing us how to be spiritual leaders in the midst of a crisis. Jerusalem was in that crisis. The wall broken down. The gates burned with fire. And as I mentioned in the introduction, we know that we are in a time of crisis. And God is calling his people, the church, to be spiritual leaders, to be spiritual influencers. And we do that by answering this call that God has given us to go out there and to proclaim Jesus. It doesn't have to be gospel like here's the four spiritual laws because some of the proclaiming of Jesus that we make are to people who are already in the church. And our proclamation is this. Remember, you are loved. God loves you. God is with you. God will strengthen you. It may not always seem that way, but sometimes God asks us to represent him, to be with those people who are hurting, who are lonely, and are in pain. They're out there. Because remember, suicide rates are climbing. Because in this difficult period of life, people are looking for connection, someone to care. So if you want to influence someone this week, I want to encourage you. Get on the phone. Open up your computer. Get in your car. Do whatever it takes in order to be in someone else's life. Now before I pray and pass this on to the worship team, I just want to ask you, you've heard this and I hope that you respond, but what are some things you can do this week, even today, in order to spiritually influence someone else? Our Father in heaven, there is a lot about you that we know. And there's a lot about you that's an absolute mystery. The burden that you have for people, your burden on your heart, is greater than we can even imagine. And you want to pass that burden to us, not asking us to carry it by ourselves because you will carry it for us, but you're asking us to answer this call to be spiritual leaders, to be spiritual influencers during this time of crisis in our country and in our world. Father, give us the wisdom and the strength that we need to answer that call. And then God, help us to get beyond duty. Help us to get beyond doing what is right and get to a place where the burden of your heart is the burden of our heart. 
May we be like Nehemiah, mourning, weeping, praying, and even fasting, that you, God, would move, just like you moved Nehemiah's heart, and in the end, led him to Jerusalem, where they rebuilt the wall and put the gates back up. Your name was honored, and your people were provided for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now just let me give a benediction, short and simple. Our Father, you are in heaven. You love this world. You love your church. I pray that you fill us with your spirit. I pray that you reveal Jesus to each and every one of us, that we might be transformed by his glory and encouraged to go and to be Jesus to people who are hurting and who are in need. There are no obstacles or barriers that you cannot overcome. Let us trust in you and your strength and go. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.